Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. This is week 11 in our series Freedom from Fascism, a Christian response to mass formation psychosis. I am Michael J. Sutton. This is week 11, part 1 in our series. And the theme for this series is What does God do during the week? The topic for today's podcast is After a busy Sunday, what does God get up to? What does God do during the week? This is a question I have always wondered about. People go to church on Sunday expecting to meet God. They believe that he lives in the building they attend. Their rituals celebrate this expectation. When the service is over and the place is tidied up and everyone has left, what does God do? How does he spend his time? What are his hobbies? What is he up to? Christian fascists don't ask that question because they don't believe he exists anyway. They don't care what he does during the week and they do not expect to meet him on Monday because they don't believe he turned up on Sunday. Christian fascists fake the rituals and cover it with words like the mystery of faith because they don't have any. In addition, they convince themselves that they can conjure up the image of God with magical incantations. They shout at him during their sermons, whatever the method. Their image of God is their own creation made in their own image. That's the point of Christian fascism. God is whomever you want him or her or it to be. As long as God doesn't actually turn up. If we meet God at church, where is he? When people go to church, they say they are meeting with God. Okay, where is he? Where does he sit? Where is he hiding? Perhaps when people turn up, God pops across the road for a pint or a latte. Would you want to meet the people who go to church for all the wrong reasons every week for years? I know God has patience, but he's seen it all. He knows all the excuses. He knows all the complaints. He knows all of the gripes. He's heard the same stories every week, the same old gossip and the same old problems. God pops out for a pint on Sunday. He's given them the Bible. They leave it closed. They think it is a joke, a collection of make-believe fairy tales written by Jews. He gives them his spirit, but they don't believe in the supernatural. He gives them the blessings of the heavens, but they don't want them. They want material things and revenge on their enemies and payback and scores settled. He gives them unity in the gospel and racial harmony, but only the racially pure can attend, and Jesus is a white man with blonde hair and blue eyes, and the service is in English and minorities are welcome as long as they know their place. Welcome to the church in the West. It's no wonder God pops out for a pint on Sunday morning. If God is active outside the church during the week, it really begs the question, doesn't it? Not all people who go to church are Christian fascists, though there may be a few genuine Christians among them. But many cannot tell the difference between the church and Christianity. They quench the spirit. After all, why listen to God when their priest can tell them all the answers? After all, he went to seminary. Most are committed to their sect. Most are true believers in their church, and they're knee-deep, or up to their waist, in the culture war. 
As long as Christians fight the culture war, the gospel will remain impotent in society and lives will not be transformed. If God exists outside the church, why do you need to go to church to meet him? More discerning Christians who attend an assembly run by Christian fascists will leap to the the defense of those who most assuredly despise them and their faith. It is the Christians who always leap to defend the fascists. This always surprises me. Christian fascists mock their faith and would sell them for a dime. Many Christians do not see the malevolence and evil of Christian fascism or nominal faith or legalism. Perhaps it is a sickness of the Western Church. Perhaps it is an inability to discern evil when it appears. It is perhaps because Western Christians downplay or deny spiritual realities and the person and work of Satan. They will, of course, say God doesn't stay in the church building. Of course, he's at work in the world. They might even dare to speak of the Holy Spirit and his presence in all Christians and that we have no right to judge nominal believers. We have no right to judge moral failings, that's true, but we are to call out those who teach falsehoods. Churches and Christians will expel the immoral brother, but not the heretic. They will kick out the single mum, but welcome the man who denies the resurrection. They will humiliate the transgender person, but will celebrate when another religious hypocrite turns up on Sunday. This is the church. They love their money and they celebrate morality instead of the grace of God. It is our need for salvation that Christ came. He did not come to heal the well, but the sick, not the righteous, but the sinners. But churches have their morality codes of who's in and who's out, and they turn a blind eye to the matters of truth and error. The flock must be protected, the truth must be defended, spirits need to be discerned. Have you forgotten so much? God is only external to those without faith. Because sadly, many Christians, thanks to the mainstream thinking of Christian fascism, think God is external, not inward or present. During the week, he is out there somewhere doing his thing. They certainly believe that God is active during the week, but this begs the question, doesn't it? If God is active during the week and active outside the church building, why attend the services at all? After all, people go to church to meet God and worship Him. If God is outside during the week, there is no need to go to church to meet God, is there? A true Christian believes that God is not external, but internal, that God dwells in us by faith. God lives in us by His Holy Spirit, Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we meet other believers, Christ is present in our midst when two or three gather in his name. Each of us has been blessed by the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead. Yet most Christians believe they have to go to a church building on Sunday to meet God, the God who never left them and never will. The attitude of many Christians to God is the same attitude people have towards monsters. It is one of the reasons I have great difficulty believing in monsters. The real monsters are people, not monsters, who are usually a code word for people who are different. But I'm sure we've all seen those movies where there's this dark, scary house 
and in the house is a monster. He lurks and waits. The camera pans towards the door, which is opened by a group of teenagers. They walk through the creaking building, step by step. We know that just around the corner at the end of the hall is a foul fiend, a creature of deformed horribleness. Then suddenly, at the right moment, this beast leaps out. The children scream and the lights go off. Fine, scary stuff. But my question is this. What does the monster do during the rest of the week? Surely he's not waiting for the kids to turn up. He must get sore legs just waiting so many hours behind that door. What does he eat? How does he spend his time? Does he play board games? What about friends? Does he drink coffee or tea? This is how most people view God. He is waiting at church on Sunday for people to turn up. This way of thinking has the idea that God exists for them. The purpose of God's existence is to serve them, wait upon them, fulfill them, satisfy them and work for them. God's purpose is to be there on Sunday when people turn up. He is waiting for them to turn on the music, adjust the skirt and the tie, clear the throat, wait for the electricity to work and the sound system, wait for the sermon and the minister or pastor to speak, and wait for the elevation of the polished silverware of the Mass. God is moulded into the church service. He is the purpose-made God, a God adaptable for every variation, every style, every tradition and every sect. God fits all shapes and sizes made for him, and he does what he is told when he is told to do it. The astounding arrogance of the priests who incant the prayers to invoke the Holy Spirit and bring him out of heaven, and the presence of Christ into the wafer and the wine, utter blasphemy. The astounding arrogance of the preachers who think their words and their long sermons are the words of God, and that the more people exalting them are those exalting God. This thinking is easy to have, but it is an illusion of a faith where God is made in our image. All the Christian fascists are the same. They not only create God in their image, they make him one of them. He becomes a white Jesus, or a rich Jesus, or a Jesus who likes children, or a Jesus who likes old people, or a Jesus who likes hymns, or a Jesus who likes choruses. In some churches, you must kiss the icons and perform elaborate baptism rituals for your kids. In another church, you must sit on hard pews and never smile. In another, you cannot have the Mass unless you're a church member. In another, you must listen to a 40-minute sermon and never question the pastor. In another, you must speak in English and believe in the monarchy of England. In another, you must sing in a particular way and wear the right sort of clothes. But we are all made in the image of God. This is how the author of Genesis speaks of it in 1 Genesis 1 verse 27. Christians believe that through Christ we bear his image in ever-increasing clarity. 1 Corinthians 15.49 This suggests that the way the Bible speaks of God and our relationship with God should shape the way we see God every day. 
our petty, pathetic, sectarian squabbles are immature. Even mature Christians, however, will fight all the wrong battles for all the wrong things. They fight amongst themselves like little kids in the sandpit. Also, they hate each other and despise each other like estranged siblings. They all work against each other like jealous co-workers. Throw nationalism and religion into the mix and they all go to war with each other and kill each other. Churches are now full of bitter, angry people who hate each other. It is no wonder numbers have fallen. These days, evangelicals in the fascist camp are obsessed with everything about sex. But their real problem is factionalism. Factionalism is rife in many of these churches. Every church has the same type of people. If you go from church to church, you can easily find these types. They're so predictable. What are these types? Well, there's always the in-crowd. These are the chosen, the ones with the ear of the priest or the pastor or the minister. Then there's the hard workers, the ones who slave away for free every week, for years. They usually go without much thanks, but without whom the church would grind or halt. Then there are the weirdos or the crazy people. Nobody likes them, but they're tolerated. They exist on the margins of the church. Every church has the intellectuals and the rich people who attend, over whom the ministers and priests fawn and prostrate. Then there are the families who've been there for several generations. They're the ones who block every new initiative, but they're the power brokers of the church. Then there are the famous families that keep appearing in the church every generation. They say, do you know the Smiths? Or do you know the Watsons? Or do you know the Simpsons? In every church, you must take a side, you must join a clique, you must support a faction. Christianity's biggest problem, as I've said, is the church. God doesn't work for the church. God is in his world, with his people, accomplishing his purposes. Christianity's biggest problem has always been the church, the greatest threat to faith in the world. The churches have been the greatest source of division, war and conflict, especially since nations created national churches. In World War I, Germans and English Christians prayed to the same God on either side of the trenches on the Western Front. In the English Civil War, the Puritans of Cromwell and the Church of England supporters of Charles I prayed to the same God before every battle. Both sides would happily kill each other and then go to church the following Sunday, take the Mass or hear a sermon. What does God do during the week? God is at work in us during the week, transforming our lives shaping our actions and words, and encouraging us in our discipleship. The writer to the Hebrews tells us these words in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 22. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
You can read this podcast as a blog if you go to freedommatterstoday.com and you can find all the other podcasts and blogs of freedom from fascism. Join me tomorrow for another episode of Freedom Matters Today.